the prophets who prophesied about the grace that would come to you searched and carefully investigated. They inquired into what time or what circumstances the spirit of Christ within them was indicating when he testified in advance to the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was prophesied that he would suffer. He prophesied that he would suffer. And so Peter spoke of that prophecy of the grace of the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. And we're turning now to Psalm 22. It is a prophecy. And as you read it, you're going to see that it's the words of a man enduring execution, describing the crucifixion hundreds of years before the method of execution was even known, yet fulfilled in Christ a thousand years after it was prophesied. Psalm 22 has been described as the best description in all the Bible of the crucifixion by James Montgomery Boyce, a, a famous Bible commentator. Martin Luther refers to it as the gem among all the Psalms. And Spurgeon refers to it as beyond all others, the Psalm of the cross. It's a Psalm of lament containing prayers of petition and praise, and it is absent of any confession of sin for he had none. And it divides perfectly from suffering to glory at verse 21. So if you'd start reading with me, starting in verse one, it's 31 verses, we're gonna cover them tonight. He says, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far from my deliverance and my words of groaning? My God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. By night, yet I have no rest. But you are holy enthroned on the praises of Israel. Our ancestors trusted in you. They trusted and rescued them. And you rescued them. They cried to you and were set free. They trusted in you and were not disgraced. But I am a worm, not a man, scorned by mankind, despised by people. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and they shake their heads. He relies on the Lord. Let him save him. Let the Lord rescue him, since he takes pleasure in him. It was you who brought me out of the womb, making me secure at my mother's breast. I was given over to you at birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. Don't be far from me because distress is near and there's no one to help. Many bulls surround me. Strong ones of Bashan encircle me. They open their mouths against me. Lions mauling and roaring. I'm poured out like water. All my bones are disjointed. My heart is like wax melting within me. My strength is dried up like baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You put me into the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. A gang of evildoers has closed in on me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People look and stare at me. They divided my garments among them and they cast lots for my clothing. But you, Lord, don't be far away. My strength come quickly to help me. Rescue my life from the sword, my only life from the power of these dogs. Save me from the lion's mouth, from the horns of wild oxen. You answered me. I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters and I will praise you in the assembly. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. All you descendants of Israel, revere him. For he has not despised or abhorred the torment of the oppressed. 
He did not hide his face from him, but listened when he cried to him for help. I will give praise to you in the great assembly because of you. I will fulfill my vows before those who fear you. The humble will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will bow down before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord. He rules the nations. All who prosper on earth will eat and bow down. All those who go down to the dust will kneel before him, even the one who cannot preserve his life. Their descendants will serve him. The next generation will be told about the Lord. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people yet to be born. They will declare what he has done. As we focus on Good Friday, the title of my message tonight is He Was Forsaken for Us. And sometimes we don't understand what that means that he was forsaken for us. Number one, he was abandoned by the Father. In the first five verses, we read the, the distress. He says, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far from my deliverance and my words of groaning? My God, I cry by day, but you do not answer by night, yet I have no rest. He says, you are holy enthroned on the praises of Israel. Our ancestors trusted in you. They trusted and you rescued them. They cried to you and were set free. They trusted in you and were not disgraced. Now we know that this psalm is a psalm of David. It's right there in the title of the psalm. It was again written to the chief director, the chief musician, the choir director, which we have known now to be God. But being on this side of the cross, we can't but help read this, not in David's words, but in the words of Jesus himself. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is the fourth statement that Jesus spoke from the cross. In Matthew 27, verse 46, it was three in the afternoon. Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? My God, I cry by day and you do not answer me. I have no rest. Understand that he's emphasizing that isolation, that separation that Jesus felt and experienced on the cross. You see, in, in this sense of abandonment, Jesus is feeling in totality God's complete and total displeasure against sin. Jesus has always been one with the Father. He always talked about, I and the Father are one. I do all that. It, to please my Father is my very food. He says, we, we, we're always together. We're always on the same page. I am in my Father and he is in me. We are one. But in this time, God was turning from him. It was in this time that Jesus had taken on the sins of the world. And it was at this moment God regarded the son as a sinner. And there, in, in that moment, in that time, the, the great exchange that took place, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Paul would write those words in 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us. 
so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Horrible as it was, it fulfilled God's good and loving plan of redemption. And this is why the prophet Isaiah wrote that it pleased the Father to crush him. In Isaiah 53.10, it says, Yet the Lord was pleased to crush him severely. When you make him a guilt offering, he will see his seed. He will prolong his days. And by his hand, the Lord's pleasure will be accomplished. The next couple of verses that, that is quoted in this psalm shows us the contrast here. You see, God is holy. And their ancestors who trusted in God rescued and those who cried were set free. They trusted and they were not disgraced. God listened to their prayers. That's not the experience of Jesus on the cross. He was shamed more than any other man. Instead of being delivered, he was forsaken. God was unwilling to hear and listen to his prayers. He had shut his ears to the cries of his son on the cross. He would not hear him for he bore our sin. And he suffered the fires of judgment in his body for us on the cross so that God would hear our prayers and our cries for help. He was not only abandoned by the father, Jesus was despised and rejected by people. Look at what he says in verses 6 through 13. He says, I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind, despised by people. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and they shake their heads. He relies on the Lord. Let him save him. Let the Lord rescue him since he takes pleasure in him. He says, it was you, God, who brought me out of the womb, making me secure at my mother's breast. I was given over to you at birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. Don't be far from me because distress is near and there's no one to help. Many bulls surround me. Strong ones of Bashan encircle me. They open their mouths against me. Lions mauling and roaring. He says, I am poured out like water. All my bones are disjointed. My heart is like wax melting within me. My strength is dried up like baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You put me into the dust of the earth. For dogs have surrounded me. A gang of evildoers has closed in on me. They pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. People look and stare at me. They divided my garments among themselves. They cast lots for my clothing. He endured mocking and ridicule on the cross. The words expressed by the psalmist are the very prophetic feelings on the cross. He says, I am a worm and not a man. Scorned by mankind and despised by people. Isaac Watts wrote a hymn and he quoted that line out of scripture and people have taken that hymn and they changed that line because people didn't want to sing that I am a worm. But Christ considered himself a worm. How much more are we that he suffered on the cross for us? Scorned by mankind, despised by people. Everyone who sees me mocks me, sneering and shaking their heads. The great I am was made lower than the angels. 
and on the cross was lower than man. Paul writes about this in Philippians 2.6. He says, Jesus, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. He could have bursted out and said, I'm God, but that wasn't the plan. That wasn't what needed to happen. He emptied himself, assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Those hateful faces, mocking and spitting, laughing, all the while, he was dying one of the most excruciating and painful deaths. For them, for their sins, even for the sin that they were committing at that point. Luke 23, 35, it's recorded. The people stood watching. The leaders were scoffing. He saved others. Let him save himself if this is God's Messiah, the chosen one. When he yelled out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He said, Eli, Eli. They replied, he's calling for Elijah. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. This psalm is describing the crowd, saying he relied on the Lord, let him save himself. Let the Lord save him. The record of the crucifixion shows that these words were fulfilled that day there at Golgotha. The sad truth is that while they mocked him on that day, even today, many mock the name of Christ, the person of Christ, the sacrifice of Christ. They mock him and they reject him as Lord and Savior. And he goes on and he talks about how God has been active in his life since the start of his life. Christ came and was born a babe because of the plan of God. And ever since he was born as a babe, God was there with him. And he has trusted himself to God the Father. In fact, the last thing that he said on the cross was, into your hands I commit my spirit. Showing us what it means when we say, God, I commit my life to you. To trust in God. He's always had the security. He's always had the safety of the Father. Now he finds himself at the hour in which evil would have its time. And the people are ruthless The people are ferocious. And he describes it as being surrounded by ferocious animals. He talks about the bulls, the bulls with the horns that would gore, the roaring and devouring lion. And he describes his physical situation. I'm poured out like water. You see, when you die on the cross, it's not just quick and over with. The first part that starts setting in after the beating is the dehydration. And we know being in the desert, what it means to be dehydrated. We know what it means to be drained of our vitality, our strength and energy ebbing away. But being nailed to the cross, they didn't nail him as it shows in pictures where his arms are like this. No, they pulled his arms out of socket so that there was no rest for them. He says, all my bones are disjointed. My heart like wax melting within me so racked in pain that the fight of life is leaving his body, ebbing away. He says, my strength is dried up like baked clay and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. And he says, God, you put me into the dust of death. Because God did. He called his son to come and die. 
There's no life. There's no moisture. Thirst and dryness are extreme. He perhaps is even at that point entering into that state of shock. And I can't but help and remember the passages of scripture that say that all things that were created were created through Christ Jesus. The one who created the springs of waters. Those luscious waters that we enjoy that quench our thirst. And here he was desperate for a drink of water, writhing in agony. He says, they pierced my hands and feet. He says, I can count on my bones. That doesn't mean necessarily that they're exposed. What that means, and it's also a prophecy, is it speaks of the pain that he feels, but not one of his bones being broken. He can still count them. They're not in multiple pieces. They're in singular piece. In this psalm, it even says, they divide my garments among them and they cast lots for my clothing. Each one of those is a prophecy fulfilled in the crucifixion of Christ. John in his gospel in 1923 says that the soldiers crucified Jesus. They took his clothes, they divided them into four parts, a part for each soldier, and then he had a tunic. It was one piece, seamless, very rare. And so they said to one another, let's not tear it, but cast lots for it to see who gets it. And look at what it says next. This happened so that the scripture might be fulfilled that says they divided my clothes among themselves and they cast lots for my clothing. That comes from Psalm 22. John 19.31 says, since it was the day of preparation, the Jews did not want the bodies to remain on the cross on the Sabbath for the Sabbath was a special day. They requested that Pilate have the men's legs broken so that their bodies be taken away. The soldiers came and broke the legs of the first man and the man on the other who had been crucified with him. And when they came to Jesus, they didn't break his legs. They saw he was already dead. For these things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones would be broken. And also another scripture says that they will look on the one whom they pierced. That comes out of Zechariah 12.10 when it talks about the restoration of the nation of Israel. But it speaks about him being pierced by the spear instead. People all stare. He says the people all stare. That tells us it was a public execution. It was a public death. Amazing description of crucifixion written hundreds of years before anybody even knew what a crucifixion was. It arised as a method of torture somewhere in the east, probably from the Medes or the Persians. Alexander the Great learned it and brought it to the West. The Romans learned it and perfected it as a means of execution for the worst of criminals. It was brutal. It was torturous. It was humiliating. And it always ended in death. And so Jesus looked out from the cross. He saw the ridicule. He saw the ruthless nature of all of those who represented each one of us and each one of our sins. And this is what he said. Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. But this psalm also teaches us, and we know on this side of the cross, that there is victory through the cross. In verses 19 through 31, we read about that victory. It says, but you, Lord, don't be far away. My strength, come quickly to help me. Rescue my life from the sword, my only life from the power of these dogs. Save me from the lion's mouth, from the horns of wild oxen. And in your Bible, you'll probably notice that there's a 
pause there. There's a separation in those words. And then he says, you answered me. It's at that point in which Jesus was raised to life again. It's at that point that it, it, it looks as though the Lord answered and there was a resurrection. And then he goes on and he says, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you in the assembly. You who fear the Lord, praise him, all you descendants of Jacob. Honor him, all you descendants of Israel. Revere him. For he has not despised or abhorred the torment of the oppressed. He did not hide his face from him, but listened when he cried to him for help. I will give praise in this great assembly because of you. I will fulfill my vows before those who fear you. He says, the humble will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will bow down before you. For the kingship belongs to the Lord. He rules the nations. All who prosper on earth will eat and bow down. All those who go down to the dust will kneel before him, even the one who cannot preserve his life. Their descendants will serve him. The next generation will be told about the Lord. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people yet to be born, and they will declare what he has done. It doesn't specifically state that Christ was resurrected, but there are some indications that we gather. We see that he called for help, and that call for a rescue, and as I said, there's that pause there, and that pause implies a period of time between the request and the answer, and that's what we know between the day of Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday. That's the Saturday. That's what we're going to be experiencing if we, if we meditate on that tomorrow. And then we see the answer, and we definitely note a change in the speaker's tone, don't we? From prayer to praise with a glorious proclamation, you answered me. I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. And we read from these verses a description of results that have come from the resurrection. Did you know that Jesus never referred to the disciples as brothers before the resurrection? In John 20, verse 17, it says, don't cling to me, Jesus said. I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and tell them that I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Hebrews 2.11 speaks of this as well. For the one who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one Father. This is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters saying, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters and I will sing hymns to you in the congregation. And it talks about a resurrection and Christ was resurrected. And we know this to be true because Paul says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and you're still in your sins. But he has given us victory over sin and death and he has been given the victory over sin and death. You see, Paul continues on in 1 Corinthians 20. He says, as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep or those who have died. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. He says, but each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits. Christ is the first resurrection. Afterward, at his coming, those who belong to Christ, then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to the Father. He abolishes all the rule and all authority and power. We read that when it says that he, he comes with his kingdom. 
for he must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be abolished is death. As we consider the cross, Christ's death, we have to see the greatness of our own sin. But it's next to the greatness of Christ's love. Our own sin sent Jesus to the cross. But it was Christ's love for us that made him willing to go. The famous Dutch artist Rembrandt, he did a painting of the crucifixion. I don't know if you've ever seen it before. The, the painting is focused on, of course, the Savior on the cross, but he also put a detail in there. He put the crowd gathered around the cross. And standing there in the shadow at the edge of the picture, Rembrandt painted himself, depicting himself as an active participant in Christ's crucifixion. How true that is. We, like Rembrandt, must put ourselves there as participants because we need to understand that it was our sins personally that put Christ on the cross. It was my sin. And it was your sin that put Jesus on the cross. We cannot minimize the sin that we have committed. We cannot minimize our sin. We can't point to others and say, well, their sin is worse than mine. Our sins may not seem as egregious as others, but our sins still drove the nails and Jesus said this in Luke 7, 47, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven and that is why she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. My brothers and sisters in Christ, we must see our sin accurately and we must understand the hell that Christ saved us from. And forgiven much, you will in turn love him much. You see, the greatness of our sin was met with the greatness of his love as he was forsaken for us. I'm going to have Pastor Jim lead us in the communion. I love to participate of communion on, on Good Friday. It's a, it's a time where we remember the sacrifice of Christ. And I would tell you that if you have never given your life to Christ, you're not in the family of God. He does not consider you brother and sister. But I want you to know that even if you are not in Christ, he died for your sin if you would place your faith and trust in him as Lord and Savior. We're going to hand out the communion elements. If you're not saved, I would tell you, don't participate in communion. And you can feel separate from everybody in the room. But I have a better option for you. Christ died, paid the penalty for sin. He said, all who call upon my name shall be forgiven, shall be saved. It says that there is no one who will come to Christ and he will by any means cast you away. But every name who calls upon the name of Christ shall be saved. And so I would invite you instead 
Make this the day that you come to know Christ is your Savior, where you come to know the greatness of your sin, forgiven and met at the cross by the greatness of his love that gave his life in place of yours. And the Bible doesn't say that we have to jump through any crazy hoops. We can't do any of the work. Christ did it all on the cross. One of his last statements on the cross was to tell us, it is finished, paid in full. He did it all. He paid it all. All we have to do is come and ask for forgiveness for our sins and ask him to be our savior. Heavenly Father, we come before you this evening, Lord. And Father, as we prepare to come and eat at your table, I, Lord, I, I, I pray that you would bless it that you would speak to us each in our hearts, Lord. I pray that as we're handing it out, those who do not yet know you as Lord and Savior, Father, I pray that your spirit would bring them close to you, that would bring them to the foot of the cross, where they would find forgiveness for their sins, where they would receive Christ. And it says, as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God. And as children, we become heirs, co-heirs, and he calls us brothers and sisters. Father, for those of us that know, may we not become anesthetized to your great love that was on display thousands of years ago at Calvary. We thank you for God, for sending your son to die on the cross. Christ, we thank you for dying on the cross and forgiving us of our sins, making the way where there was no way for us, paying the price that we could never pay. And all the while, forgiving us, even as we drove the nails. We thank you, and it's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.